0: John Stott, probably one of the clearest voices in the last 30 years in evangelical Christianity. He's passed away now. He was speaking about his country, Great Britain, when he said these words, but he was also speaking about uh, America. And uh, he said some things. This was 30 years ago. He was uh, commenting on the condition of of, of both countries. And of course, he, you know, he was speaking of rising crime and Poverty, violence, corruption, uh, divisiveness—just the, the things you you know we we would think of even today. All these things just spiraling out of control. Um, he could have been speaking uh, of 2017. Everything that he said, um, and these things, when you think about the symptoms of the world, are really reflections of values that that people hold to and live by. So they they're like. Um, you know, they express these deep-seated values that are within the culture. And it's, it's not what he said and the way he described the world of that day and how I would say it. It, it just describes the world of today. It's not that that, that haunted me. It's his, uh, it's his diagnosis of those things. He writes this, and I quote, "'Whose fault is it?' Let me put it like this. "'If the house is dark at night,' There is no sense in blaming the house. That's what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, where is the light? If meat goes bad, there is no sense in blaming the meat. That is what happens when bacteria goes unchecked. The question to ask is, where is the salt? If society becomes corrupt like a dark night or a stinking fish, there is no sense in blaming society. That is what happens when fallen human society is left to itself and human evil is unrestrained and unchecked. The question to ask is, where's the church? This spring... We as a church, Fellowship Bible Church, y'all, we're going we're gonna to commemorate 20 years of, of being in existence. Um, it's, it's been an amazing time. I think back to some of us, we're in a high school cafeteria at Franklin, old Franklin High School. And today, you know, we're here at Franklin as a congregation. We're in Brentwood as a congregation. We're, we've got a small congregation. We just started up in Nashville and I, I would say this, you know, in many ways, we, we've been changed. We look a lot different um, as a church. But I would say this, when I look at society as a whole, I and mean, even when I just look at our community, I look at, you know, where we are, Franklin, Brentwood, when I look at our community, uh, it's not much different it's really not that much different than 20 years ago when we started. And I'm not saying that in a disparaging way. I'm, I'm not throwing us under the bus by any means. Uh, God's done some amazing things in us and, and through us. And y'all, he continues to do that. To do that and I'm, I'm really grateful. But I will say this. Uh, I'm not satisfied. Uh, your elders are not satisfied like well that was good we're done not at all your leaders lay leaders some 350 that gathered at the Brentwood campus last week kind of thinking about these things they're not satisfied for where we are we believe there's more the Lord has for us and the Lord wants to do in this community and and, and in our our world through us I'm going to put it on a very personal note if I can don't answer this out loud you don't need to raise your hand on this one Uh, but let me ask you for yourself Are you satisfied just where your faith is right now? Or would you say there's something in you that that just goes, you know, there's got to be, there's more. There's more. There's more joy. There's more love. There's more peace, a deeper peace. There's more grace and mercy. There's more I want God to do in and through me. I don't know about you, but I... I believe that and I'll tell you the scriptures would affirm that. There's always more to spiritual maturity, growth and development and influence than we're experiencing right now. There's always more that God's going to be doing in and through us until the day he returns or we go to be with him. We're standing right on the, you know, we're standing right on the cusp of 20 years. And right here we have the opportunity to look back, but we also have the opportunity to peer forward and look and go Lord, what do you have for us as a church in the next 20 years? And that's what we're doing. I want you to know that. Y'all, we're in the middle of some, you know, we're in a major leadership transition, organizational transitions that are happening here, and it's good and appropriate, and it's of the Spirit. But we believe there is more, and the way we're looking at this is in two phases. Rob and I talked about this. We're thinking about this sense of get ready. So, you know, right here, as we're this spring will be 20 years, we're going, let's get ready And then we're saying, as we move into January, February, March, we're going, let's dream together. And so in this get ready phase, there are at least three things that we're doing. And again, this is review. We've talked about this. Getting ready means refreshing the elder board. And and that's in process right now as God has raised up men who are eldering in this body and will be put in that office by the first of the year. Uh, Getting ready means entering a season of prayer and fasting. Uh, we are going to kick this season off next Sunday night, October 8th, at the Brentwood campus with a family night of worship. I want to invite everyone to join us. This is how we're going to kick off a season of prayer and fasting. We're going to go from 6 to 7.30, uh, at the, again, at the Brentwood congregation, Nashville congregation is coming, Franklin congregation. We all gather together for this night of worship there'll be child care for the younger kids uh, register for that and then, but otherwise the older kids you know they can sit there we're going to be together for about an hour and 15 minutes maybe an hour and a half and it's kicking off a season 40 days of corporate prayer and fasting now let me say this uh, when we kick off those, those days, they'll start on that Monday, okay? is that's when the, the 40 days begin. You don't need to, you know, carve up because we're not going to ask you to fast for 40 days. Uh, we're going to ask you to fast for one. But what's going to happen that no, uh, next weekend is you're going to get an opportunity to opt in to a prayer reminder. You're going to text something in. It's going to take you to a link and you're opted in. I want to get a prayer reminder every day in nashville brentwood franklin all of us who call fellowship home we're going to be praying and you're going to get a link every day that takes you to. here's what we're praying for this day i could not be more excited about this and we'll be praying specifically for those these things we'll working through confession and repentance all that for, for those 40 days and then you're going to have a little pamphlet a little thing you'll get next week where you're going to circle a day on the calendar when you're going to fast now, we're going to give you another link to give you some guidelines about fasting, the what and the why behind it, the how. Some of you are in places, you know, health-wise, you don't, you don't need to do without a meal. So there's no legalism on this, but we're going to give you the background of some fasting and some ideas on how you can fast. Maybe skip, Maybe skip one meal or you might skip an activity, something along those lines. But I don't know what we could do that is more significant to our future as a church than this season to pray and to fast. And and I'm very excited about it. And we're not only going to kick it off with this night of worship, let me say, we're going to start that Monday the 9th, 40 days later is Friday, November 17th. And on that evening, we're going to do an all-night prayer vigil it's going to be all night prayer for those who can come now it's not that you have to come we're going to go from 8 to 7 a.m. you don't have to stay the whole time so you know what you get to sign up for these slots that you're going to come but we're going to pray all the way through the night and that's how we're going to break or end this season of prayer and fasting the third thing getting ready means is we are going to study the book of acts it's where we are today We're not going to do the exposition we normally do verse by verse, but we're going to cover most of it because we want to walk through and identify the DNA of the church. Now, doing acts like this makes logical sense. We've spent a year in the gospel of Mark. We've been following the servant king. He's been crucified, buried, raised again. What happens next? Y'all, that's the book of Acts. And so we're diving in for that reason. The second I just mentioned, and that is you cannot find a better, more clear blueprint for the church. If we're going to stand here on the edge of 20 years, look back and look forward, hold to our history, but go, Lord, what do you have for us? We need to renew and, and revisit the DNA of the church, how it began is how it continues to be led and function, the mission and the value. So this is going to jump off the page at us as we move through the book of Acts. There's not a more important book that we could be studying in this particular season. How is it, I'm going to tell you, how is it that the the early church lived, if you've read Acts, with such clarity of, of vision and Passion and heart and strategically, how did they do that? We're going to find out. Because it's not just how the church lives. Y'all, this is how the individual Christian lives. It's how they lived then. It's how we live today. Think about this. This always blows me away. We'll get to this later. But, you know, the, the, uh, the disciples start off totally... InEpt's not the right word. That's too strong. But, you know, they're, they're hiding. They're afraid even after Jesus has risen. How is it that in, in the end of John, they're hiding. They're behind closed doors. They don't want to get caught in trouble. They go from that to the book of Acts and what happens such that you and I are sitting here today 2,000 years later. And we believe in Jesus because of what they did. It's not how they started, but oh, my What happens as we're going to read, even in these first 11 verses, is amazing. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Acts 1, 1 through 11. First, a brief, brief introduction. It's written by Luke, who's a physician. Um, uh, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. And if you read the first verses of the Gospel of Luke, you'll see that Luke wrote a very accurate, clear, historical account to a man named Theophilus, a Roman official. We don't know who he is. But Luke was clearly writing to say, look, let me give you the facts about Jesus. And when we read the first few verses of Acts, we're going to read again. He goes, what I wrote to you before, Theophilus, about what Jesus began to do, he now writes the book of Acts to say, here's what he continued to do. It's called the Acts of the Apostles, but you'll hear us say this a lot. It's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And that'll make sense in a moment as we move through it. Luke's Gospel, here's what Jesus began. The book of Acts, here's what Jesus continues. Now, what Jesus continues to do is a a bit of a, if you think about it, you go, "Well, wait a minute, how can Jesus be continuing to do something when he's gone? Now, we're going to read in these verses, he actually ascends into heaven. So how is it that Jesus can continue, can still be uh, doing a work when he's not here? If you'll remember a few weeks ago, Rob and I, we talked about the fact that the church is plan, what? Can y'all see this? (laughs) It's A. There's no plan B. Such that, how is it that Jesus is continuing to do something? Y'all, it's through the church. No plan B. It's through people indwelt by his spirit, corporately gathered under the rule of elders and extending the kingdom of God through the local church. Plan A. And that's the whole topic. It's the whole title of our series as we're in Acts. Now, there are three realities. I'm going to call them. Uh, you know, core convictions that, that undergird and that form the DNA of the church and we get them right here in the first 11 verses. I'm gonna give you three phrases because we're gonna take this passage in three parts and they're a little long, so I'll say it twice. We're gonna start here with verses one to three and Luke begins his account with these realities, these timeless truths. The first one is this. They stood on the undeniable fact of the resurrection, Okay. They stood, or you stand, on the undeniable fact of the resurrection. Follow along with me again. Carthy read it. We'll go through it again, verses 1 through 3. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen to these, he also presented himself alive after, su- after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. The undeniable fact of the resurrection. They stood on it. And we see here that Jesus presented himself with many convincing proofs y'all for a 40 day period that word convincing proof it means that which is And the reason it's not just with many proofs but they say convincing because the greek carries this idea of certainty of undeniable of uh, in your face you can't miss this proof okay jesus when he took those 40 days we can we can we can identify at least him proving himself in at least these four ways. And there may be more. But let's start here. It says he appeared to them. So let's start with this. Jesus after his suffering. So he's saying after his death. Jesus appeared to them. Wait a minute. I thought he was dead. No he appeared to them. Y'all they saw him. Just write the word sight. They see him. They see the living Christ. Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians 15, 6 to 7. He appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 at one time. Do you guys understand? Jesus appeared not just to the apostles. He appeared to 500 people. That would mean taking two of these rooms. And at one time, the man Jesus, alive from the dead, stood in front. And 500 people saw him. But you know, you can see things and go, I don't know. Was that really him? And so what else did he do? He spoke. Don't miss this. They heard him. They see him. They hear him. They hear his voice. They had, been, they had heard his voice over those three years. You know, I've got, a, I've got on my phone a message that my dad left me years ago. My dad passed away some years ago. And I know some of you may do this as well. I still have this voicemail from my dad. And I uh, keep it on there. And, you know, my dad would always say when he left me a voicemail, he'd say, Hey, Lloyd. This is your dad, as if I didn't know this was my dad, because I know my dad's voice. When I hear my dad's voice, I know his voice. And Jesus spoke. He didn't remain silent, so they would not just see him. They would hear him. That's, no one talks like that. That's Jesus. They see him. They hear him. They touch him. Again, in Luke's gospel, he stood in their midst. He said, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands, see my feet. It's I myself. Touch me. Just touch me. You're not sure what you saw. Uh, You're not sure what you heard. Touch me. I'm alive. And then finally, I'm going to say this. I think they smelled him. And I am reading between the lines, but I don't think I'm outside the line." When they went down on his feet the women when they got near him and touched him do you think that they caught a whiff of that perfume that had been drenched upon his head upon his feet that that room I think it did and do you know we know scientifically smell is the most powerful sense of remembrance you guys know this it's stronger than a song have you ever gone somewhere and- and all of a sudden, you're back at your grandma's house. What did that smell come from? It'll take you there immediately. And I believe it. They saw him, they heard him, they touched him, and they smelled him. He's alive. He's alive. Why? 40 days. Of this convincing proof. Because Paul would say this later. 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised. Our faith is worthless. We are still in our sin. And we are of all men. Most to be pitied. Men and women. The Christian life. The church. Stands. Falls. Upon the reality. Of the resurrection. They were were convinced the man is alive. And so too must we be. Convinced. Of the resurrection. When. When. What day of the year are we most convinced Jesus is alive? Isn't that weird in a way? I mean, it's good. It's really good. But why is it that it peaks and then it wanes and then it peaks? You ever think about that? He's alive! You know, it's like on that day we always say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. And we only do it on one day. I'm just telling you, they live their lives Every day on the resurrection. This man is alive and he's the only one who's ever risen from the dead. Embrace the reality of the resurrection. Secondly, this, this DNA set upon us, upon the church. Depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of being a witness. That's a mouthful. I can't get it shorter. I'll say it again. Depend upon the Holy Spirit for the purpose of of being a witness. This is verses 4 through 8. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it, this, is, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but contrast, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part. Of the earth. Notice that the disciples, and you know, this makes a ton of sense when we understand their backgrounds, they were thinking nationalistic, they were thinking regional, they were thinking political, they were thinking geography. Are you going to do it at this time? Notice also, he didn't say they were wrong. You know, we believe as we read redemptive history, there's a future for Israel. Th- th- he didn't say, no, that's not going to happen, but he said, for now, this is how the kingdom expands, not politically not geographically i'm not getting rid of rome my kingdom is in this time of the church age is a kingdom of his ho- my kingdom is in the hearts of men and women whose hearts come under my rule and who therefore extend my rule through themselves and through me through the spirit in the world you see john stott helps us here again i found this helpful at least he notices this, the kingdom is a is spiritual in nature. That is, the spirit is about changing the hearts of men and women. It is international in its membership. This is a huge deal in the book of Acts. It's not just for you guys, Jews. It's for the world as it always has been. And that's what we see. And so Jew and Gentile, that's the tension in the book of Acts. And third, it is gradual in its expansion. It's not like, now it's here, it's, it starts, it moves forward, it expands, it's like the mustard seed, and it grows. Verse 8 describes this very thing. It's the key to the book. You put an asterisk by it, underline it. This is the verse that shows us what the next 28 chapters are going to be. Now, it shows us this geographically. Okay, number one, I want you to see it this way. since you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, chapter 1 through 7. You're going to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria, a larger realm, 8 through 12. And then you're going to be my witnesses in the remotest part of the world. That's all the way 13 to 28. So there's the geographical picture of the book of Acts. I want you to see it. Literally on the screen, a geographical picture. Notice here that the gospel begins in Jerusalem, the tiny red dot you can see. See that? Acts 1 through 7. And then it goes to Judea and Samaria, the purple over that expands out. You're still just in the nation of Israel. And then it goes to the entire, and by the way, that's the known world at the time, stretches all the way to Rome. This is where the book's going to end. This is how the gospel is going to go to the world, the world as they knew it. Now I want you to see this very large picture of the green circle oblong in a world context. How about that? Look, it went to the whole world. Sort of. How does it get to Africa? How does it get to Australia? How does it get to the United States? How does it get there? the church you think what we're about doesn't matter as a church you see there is no plan B it's the church You don't, and it's the universal church of course but you do not find the universal church in scripture except that it's, it's expressed by local communities like, like us and others great churches in the community it's plan A that's how it gets there now, it's not only verse eight doesn't only underline the book of Acts in its uh, geography and in the book itself, the literary progression. But there, there lies beneath that verse and within it the fundamental biblical theology, mission, vision of the church. It's there. I want you to see it in three words. Looking again at verse 8, but you're going to look up at the screen. I'm going to give you the three words. Just out of verse 8. First word is power. Greek word dunamis. Uh, this is like my, my big fat Greek wedding. You know, every time you see an English word, the dad's going, let me show you why that came from the Greek, you know. Mm-hmm. Dunamis. It means power. Capacity beyond your own. Dunamis. What word does it sound like in our English language now that's powerful and explosive? Dynamite, yeah, so that's where that comes from, dunamis. By the way, this power, if you took every stick of dynamite on the planet, put it together, it would be like a balloon popping compared to the power that this is really describing. You're gonna see that in a moment. Second word is pneuma, pneuma. It's It's the Greek for spirit, breath, okay? Now, when he talks about the Holy Spirit, note this, He's not talking about literal wind. He's talking about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. I am thrilled about being in the book of Acts because we have so many misconceptions, misunderstandings of the person of the Holy Spirit. And can I just keep saying this to you till it kind of gets in our brains? He's a person. He's not an it. He's a person. He's not an it. He's a person. The third person of the Trinity, fully God. The person of the Holy Spirit. The, in the Old Testament, I'll say this in a moment, the, the ruach, it's the breath of God, okay? Power, spirit, the last word is witnesses. It's witnesses. And the Greek on this one is uh, marutes. And it says, it kind of goes matures, but it's marutes. And it, it, it means witness. Someone who testifies. Now, marutes or mar, what does that word sound like when someone who dies for their faith? Mart, that, that's where we get martyr, but I don't want you to go there yet because that's not what it means. It came to mean that because there were those Christians who would choose death over not witnessing for Jesus. They said, I must be a witness. Well, then you'll die. Okay. And the church said, let's call them martyrs. Okay, but they're witnesses. It's someone who, who, who says what they've seen and what they've heard. Now, this word spirit, I'm gonna move around in these for a moment. You know, the spirit, the Holy Spirit is just, when they're, they're baptized with the spirit, they're indwelt by the spirit is exactly what Jesus promised would happen when he left. Remember in John, he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going I'm to send my spirit. And this is what's amazing. He says, and he, by, you know, and he will be in you. Now, biblically, theologically, let's think very clearly here. You remember when Paul says, uh, for, for I've been crucified with Christ, but it is no longer I who live, but he says, Christ lives where? You know the verse, Christ lives in me. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever really thought about that? Because I want you to know, we're going to read a verse here in a moment that says Christ goes into heaven and the Bible tells us Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. How can Christ be at the right hand of the Father? And, and Paul say, no, Christ is in me. When Jesus took on flesh, men and women, he took on flesh in our humanity never to be separated from it. You think your body doesn't matter? You think God doesn't value the human body? The Son of God took on a human body He'll never not have that body. Think about the value of our body. It matters, <sighs> but if Jesus is going to be with us and in us in a human body, he can't do it. There's only one human God man, Jesus. So he says, "I'm going to send my." Spirit Spirit. Let's be very careful here. The Holy Spirit is the second person of the Trinity. He is fully God, such that when Paul says, I've trusted Christ and Christ lives in me, Paul is saying Christ is in me in the person of the Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of Christ as well, you see. We can get a little fuzzy on this, but I want you to understand, the Holy. You know, we, we say Christ lives in me. Well, that's the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Reproducing the life of Christ in us. I want you to think about this spirit who gives power. How powerful is the spirit? Hmm. Let me give you another question that answers it fully and finally. How powerful is God? Now, if this doesn't blow your mind, I don't, I don't know. This, this, I don't know even what to do with this. So you're telling me the power of God is in Josh, is in Luke, is in Josh? The power that spoke the world into being? Are you telling me the power that raised Jesus from the dead is in me? No. Nah. <laughs> right? Because I go, it's like, uh, the answer's yes. Don't go here. I'm not saying you're God. You know, let's not go Mormon, quite frankly. It's incorrect. And if you're Mormon in the room, it's, it's not true. I'm just telling you. But the Spirit of God lives in us. The power of God lives in us. And so you think about what that means. It means It means there's a bit of a disconnect if the power of God lives in us and we're not shaping our world in ways that the power of God would. And again, not throwing us under the bus, but... You know, and there's reasons, our flesh, we don't walk in the spirit, etc. But I'm telling you, God has given us power by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. It can't be any clearer. I'll say it another way. By the person of the spirit, God gives us power for his purpose. So you could put up on the screens up here, you could go, power, power, Purpose by the Spirit. Where else has God given power such that a human being would achieve his purpose? All the way in Genesis 1. What? Yes, go there. Genesis created man in his image. The Bible says, and God breathed the ruach. The the breath of his spirit into that man animated him, right? Animated the man and then said, be fruitful and multiply and rule over creation with me. That sounds like power for purpose, does it not? Now, why why would I go all the way back to Genesis to root this picture of the church? Because that's the story of the Bible from beginning to end. The, this is not something new. Oh, 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 gosh, plan A failed. Let's try plan B and get some people called Christians and give them God's power. No, it's always been plan A, the power of God in his people for the purpose of God, you see, always. Has anyone ever, not many live last service said this, I don't know if they were lying or what, but anyone ever thought, because I've thought this, had I been in the garden, I, I think I'd have done better than Adam and Eve. Anybody ever thought that? I'm serious. I, you know, here's the thing, because you go, they had what? They had the power of God, and then God gave them the purpose. They didn't even have a sin nature. I mean, we have a sin nature. They didn't have a sin nature. It was a world of innocence. And they, they, they messed up. Well, let me say this to you and to myself here's a do-over here's my power Lloyd and here's your purpose Lloyd the spirit indwells you you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in the Lord Jesus Christ Uh, by the way Lloyd Adam and Eve didn't have my spirit but you do now by the power of the spirit be a witness Lloyd that's all I'm asking you Lloyd just do that how are you doing See, I go, darn, I did did way worse than they would have done because I have it right here. And this is the amazing story of the Bible that just, you know, honestly electrifies me in the sense of, oh my gosh, Acts chapter one, verses one through 11 is in a biblical sense, a recreation of the garden. What? Yes. And the whole thing's gonna end in another garden, by the way. But this is, this is our day. This is our time. He says to the church, here's my power. Here's the purpose. Live it. Just live it. I'll enable you to do that. Wow. Do you want a clear vision for your life? Seriously. Because you know, we're always thinking, come up with mission statement, vision statement for my life. Hmm. How about God's power and living for God's purpose and be a witness? You want, the, you want, the, you want the, you know what the mission of the church is? People go, gosh, I'm not sure what the church's mission is or our vision. Here's the power and be a witness. That, that, that's it. Oh, well, no, it's got to be more than that. No, well, there's things, but it doesn't get any more basic than that. That's our mission, you all, as a church. It was when we started 20 years ago. It remains our mission today. We're not throwing that out and coming up with a new one. We are re- refreshing ourselves. We're going to renew that for ourselves. It's a good thing to renew it. Let me tell you something. It's no different than it was. Hmm, In the garden. And in the New Testament church, and on October 1st, 2017, in this church. two things about the spirit. The first is this: Note the power of the Spirit is it's for the purpose of being witnesses. I, I want to I take you on a little journey here to kind of alleviate maybe some anxiety you have. Jesus did not say you will, you will receive power to be an evangelist. Do you know, I can count on one hand, I can actually probably count on one finger, maybe two fingers, people that I, that I know, and you may know them, who have the gift of evangelism. It's a spiritual gift, and I know some people who have it. I don't. And 99% of you don't either. Now, I don't know why God did that until I think about it. Because while he gifts some as evangelists, he empowers everyone to be a witness. See? He empowers everyone to be a witness. Well, what's a witness? Uh, you, you tell what you've seen and what you've heard. That's it. That's, that's what you do. If I ask someone in the room right now, you know, Kelly, would you be a witness of what you have seen and heard in the last 30 minutes? Would, would you be a witness to it? Why, why, why would you confidently say, I'll be a witness? Because you're just going to tell what you've seen in her. Why would you be, a, why are you confident? Why would you be confident and go, yeah, I'll be a witness? You, hear, you didn't hear what she said. You know what she said? said, because I can do that. Okay, why is it, though, if someone says to you, hey, would you share your faith with that uncle you've been walking with all these years? Why is it, Kelly would say, I can do that if I asked her to be a witness what she's just seen for the last 30 minutes. But when we go to that part, you know what I'm saying? When we go to that part of, I want you to share your faith at work. (laughs) They may ask me a question I can't answer. Of course. Only only Holy Spirit can answer their questions at one level. Uh, They may think I'm a religious nut. Well, they may. God didn't ask you to lead that person to make to, to lead that person to faith in Christ. God didn't ask us to do that per se. God didn't say make that person a Christian. God said be a witness. So, so you just you know let's just go like Kelly said. She said uh, I can do that. Well, you know what? Can everyone can do that if you've trusted Christ and He's forgiven you of your sin. He's cleansed you from all unrighteousness. He's clothed you with his own. Then you may not be a witness that you saw him dead and alive like the apostles. But if you've trusted Christ at some level, you are a witness of his his grace. Can I tell you how Jesus has been gracious to me? His forgiveness—he has forgiven me my sins. His mercies that are new every morning. His kindness to us when we don't deserve. See, we're witnesses of Christ in so many—oops—in so many ways. I don't know. That kind of frees me up to be a bit bolder than I ever am. I'm talking to myself. I chicken out, you know, when I'm have an opportunity to share my faith per se. But God says, "Be a witness." Just tell what you've seen. The only reason Kelly may say to me, "Uh, Lloyd, I don't want to do that, is that she wasn't here for the last 30 minutes. But you were. And so you said, hey, I'll tell. If if someone came to her and said, well, tell me. She'd say, well, Lloyd put up this big A and he held it over his head and he yelled something, you know, I don't know, screamed. Um, But that's it. It's just to say this is, I'm a witness of Jesus. I'm a witness of Jesus. Now, it's the work of God to change the human heart. You can no more convince someone to trust Jesus than you can fly to the moon with your, with your arms. God does it. But he uses us as witnesses. Wow. Last thing, I got to do this quick. No, let me say this, because this is a great reminder to us. Um, Os Guinness quote, I, I think it hits home. Os Guinness says this, the main problem with American Christians is not that they aren't where they should be, but that they aren't what they should be where they are as doctors, housewives, lawyers, salesmen, educators, salespeople, managers, artists, executives, go on, moms, homeschooled. T- do you see what I'm saying? What, what, where do you go to be a witness? Can I tell you? You get out of bed. <laughs> you go to work. You go to your kids' practice. You shop. Wherever you are, it's just, this is life. We live life as a witness of Jesus Christ Last thing, I said this. I said you have to stand upon the undeniable fact of the resurrection. You have to depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit to be his witness. And finally, you have to live like Christ is returning today. You have to live like Christ is returning today. Um, The angel's words are words of certainty. As you saw him go, he's coming back. And I think this this is awesome to me. Did you notice how the disciples have matured? in just three or four short verses. Because the angel says, quit looking up into the sky. The way you saw him go, he's going to return in just the same way. What don't they do that tells us God's at work in their lives? They don't ask when. How about that? I'm serious. What what, what were they doing earlier? When? (laughs) Well, I want to know. Then they don't. You know what happens? Verse 12, they returned to Jerusalem. Wow. They went and did what God, what Jesus had told them to do. I've gone way, way over. Let me end this. I want you to take your program or I want you to take the letter A that we gave out several weeks back. Here's mine. And I wrote, on. Um, we had you write on at the front of it, we had you write Jesus Christ and him crucified, and on the back or on the front, you could have written names of people who don't know Christ. Either take that, which I've got, or, and we've designed it this way, y'all, and we're gonna do this all series long, we designed this front cover so you could tear the front cover off, and that's like a little notepad. It's like a little notepad. You can write on this. I want everybody to take their notepad, and I want you to write three words on the top. I want you to write these three words. Resurrection, spirit, and return. Resurrection, spirit, and return. Resurrection, spirit, and return. There's Acts 1 through 11. 1, 1 through 11. There's the DNA of the church. There's the historical, theological underpinnings of all that we are as Christians and all that God calls us to. There's our purpose, our power, and our mission. Resurrection, spirit, return underneath that i want you to simply do this and i want you to keep this if you would please i want you to write the names of people you know who don't know christ just start the list you can finish it later but i want you to at least get two or three names down just write some names down you know these people don't know jesus just write the names down thanks aaron for coming out Write a few names down. Again, I'm sorry we're going late. This is, this is a kickoff to act, so we'll, we'll rein it in from here. Write some names down. People you know you know that don't family member, friend, maybe someone you know here, someone whatever you, these people don't know Jesus. Just write a few names down. I want you to keep that sheet with you. Now, I'm gonna ask you a question and it will change your life. And it will put you in the jet stream of the book of Acts as we go through it, okay? It's a yes or a no. It's okay if you say no, or so it's okay. But I just wanna ask you this and I want you to answer it in your mind's eye. Will you make yourself to be an available witness in the coming year? That's all I'm asking you. So you can say, yes, I will, or no, I won't. If you say no, that's okay. This is God at work. Let him do work in our hearts. Will you make yourself to be an available witness in the coming year? That's all I'm asking you. You say yes to that hold on because the spirit will be at work spirit it's the spirit at work in you that would even have you say yes let's stand together father we come thankful for this amazing story in the book of acts it shows us what jesus continues to do in and through us in the person of the holy spirit who baptizes us indwells us changes us And I pray that we as a community of faith might look forward to the next 20 years and we would be a people, oh God, may we be a people that live standing absolutely convinced the resurrection is true, dependent upon the Holy Spirit who lives in us to make us witnesses and that each and every day we would live with an urgency, you could come back today. And may that fuel our passion for the names we wrote down. And whether we're that available witness or God, you have someone in their world in another place, would you bring that available witness to them? And by your Spirit, would you open their eyes? That they would believe and trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That they might have life eternal and life now in you. This is our prayer as a community of faith. Amen. God bless. Again, I apologize. Making you late for lunch. But we will be okay. See you.